terms we don't hear used until the last few years. Atmospheric River, Pineapple Express, even El Nino, not something I'd heard until a few years back. This plume of moisture from the tropics has dumped water and snow in Southern California. It was Albert Hammond who sang the hit, It Never Rains in Southern California. Not the case these past few days. Mudslides in the Hollywood Hills, the normally dry L.A. riverbed flowing full steam out to sea, hundreds of thousands without power. Flash floods, a rare warning issued for hurricane-force winds. It's even been called a bomb cyclone by the National Weather Service. It's as rare as snow falling in Houston or Orlando. When you're not used to this turn in the weather, it's hard to react, to know what to do. In all of life, fair weather, foul weather, or in anything, pray Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Welcome to Haven Today here on Tuesday. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. This is a program we're calling The Promise of Jesus. And with me again, our new president, David Wolin. Good to be with you, Charles. And I didn't know you were going to bring up Psalm 16. That's exactly where I was in my devotions this morning. What a precious psalm. Well, this week we are in another passage that's also precious to me, which is John 17. Yesterday, you and I were talking about how Jesus prayed for himself. Today, we're going to see him praying a prayer of protection for his disciples. And what I find interesting is that the way God protects his people is not always how we expect him to protect us. Isn't that true? Well, we know God is our protector. We know that he's sovereign. But what does it mean in the details of real life? How is God our protector when tragedy and and suffering come into our lives or the people that we love? And last week, talking with Johnny Erickson Tata, she shared how God had done exactly that in her life and through the accident, using that to protect her soul. Right before my accident, I had professed Christ, obviously, but Mm. I was a teenager with lots of Mm. raging hormones, Mm. and my boyfriend Mm. and I were fooling around doing things on Friday nights that we just shouldn't have been doing. And then getting up on Sunday morning, I'd go to church, confess it all, and then the next Friday night, we'd be in the backseat of his car, and it was a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And finally, finally, after um, this uh, months and months of being with my boyfriend, I, I was, uh, I was uh, enslaved. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, like Galatians says, do not let yourself be yoked again yeah. uh, to a yoke of slavery. And there I was. I was uh, so enslaved to my own sin, I, I could not break free. Yeah. And so I pleaded with God. Uh, right before I graduated from high school, right before heading off to college, where I knew I would only get into deeper mischief, mm-hmm. I prayed, God, please do something, anything yeah. in my life to jerk it right side up. And uh, then shortly after graduation, yeah. I broke my neck. Yeah. And I was dumbfounded that this could possibly be, this couldn't be an answer to that prayer. Yeah. Um, and it seemed preposterous and impossible at first. And to me, uh, very cruel that God would take me so seriously. But I've learned over many, many years that um, God's purposes are always wise, specific, and good. And we may not understand them at first, but in time and with trust, uh, he makes it plain. David, that is amazing openness on the part of Johnny Erickson Tata sharing with us last week and then again today here on the program. Yeah, it is. She, or those last words, God's purposes are always wise, 
specific and good. And, you know, when you think about an accident like the one that Johnny had and that she can look back on it now that way, Charles, that is, I think, something that only a Christian really can say is trusting in the goodness and sovereignty of God as they look back on a life now, five decades plus, in a wheelchair. But it's drawn her closer to Jesus. Well, and that leads us to John 17. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Johnny's new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. This is a really significant book because it encourages everyone who reads it to remember the joy in drawing closer to Christ every day. Too many times we try and live for Christ without spending time with Christ. But Johnny wants to remind all of us that's not the way of the Christian. Well, that's right. And there's a lot to learn from Johnny. I know I've learned a lot from her and from her faith, and I think our listeners have as well, especially as we've heard her talk about her new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus, which is why after the program, we'd love to share this resource with you. Would you visit our website? You can come online and read the sample chapter we have for you there. You can also watch or listen to the interview that Charles and I did with Johnny while we were there with her. And then you can make your gift to Haven Today and ask for your copy of Johnny's new book at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. Or you can call us after the program at 800-65-HAVEN. That's 800-65-HAVEN. And now let's get this program started with God Our Protector. Steve Bell opens this Haven Today. God Our Protector, keep us in mind and always give strength to for if we could be with you one day in time, it is better than a thousand without you. strength to your people for if we could be with you one day in time it is better than a thousand without you it is better than a thousand from the city known for the worst winners in all Canada, Winnipeg. Canadian singer-songwriter Steve Bell singing to us from Psalm 84 and God Our Protector. 
Well, this is Haven Today, and I'm David Wolin here with Charles Morris. And Charles, a couple of those last lines there in the song were striking me afresh. Of course, they're so familiar. One day in the presence of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. And that thought about the presence of the Lord. Well, back in the time of the Old Testament, when those psalms were written, This was before the incarnation of Christ, before Pentecost. Back then, God's people were thinking about the presence of God in geographic terms, the tabernacle, the temple. But today, that reality is bigger and better. God is present with us today through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Christ is present with his people. And last week, that's what we were focusing on, the presence of Jesus, and how the presence of Jesus is a fact in the life of every believer. Not always a conscious fact, but a fact nonetheless, and that's why it's so important that we talk about it, that if you belong to Jesus, his daily presence is a reality to live in and live out. But it's more than a fact. It's a promise, a personal promise, which is why this week our focus in this series is on a continuing theme, the promise of Jesus. Now, Charles, you and I could have gone to all kinds of places in the Bible to talk about this, but we landed on John 17, because this chapter, which I know is precious to both of us, and it's unique in all of Scripture, the longest prayer of Jesus, and he prays it out loud for the benefit of his 11 remaining disciples. We know that Judas Iscariot had already left to betray Christ. And the reason that we see here in John's gospel for Jesus praying this prayer out loud is because of what his disciples have just said to him. What was that? Well, it came right before chapter 17. Jesus had been teaching them all night, starting at the Last Supper and then in a series of lessons and teachings that had started all the way back in chapter 13 in John, all the way up here to chapter 17. There's so much here, but Jesus knows his time is short and he's making use of every second. And at the end of all of that, the disciples say this, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And so Jesus responds to this with a prayer. And the first lines of that prayer, we know he's praying for himself, and we looked at that yesterday. And today, starting in verse 6, he begins to pray to the Father specifically for these remaining disciples. He prays, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Can you hear the connection between what the disciples said to Jesus and now what Jesus is praying for them? Now they believe. You know, sometimes we think of faith like a light switch, Like there's a single moment when the switch is flipped and then the whole room goes from total darkness to total light. And there is a biblical truth here worth emphasizing. There is ultimately no in-between when it comes to a person standing before God. The Apostle Paul said there is a dominion of darkness and there's the kingdom of the sun. A person belongs to one or the other ultimately. But, and I think this is a really important insight in disciple-making, 
Even today, there is often a slow process of coming to faith, one step at a time. Sometimes the experience is a little bit less like a light switch, a little more like a dimmer switch coming to full brightness. The light is coming on slowly. Your eyes are adjusting. You're beginning to be able to see. And then a moment of clarity comes and you see Jesus. Well, that's certainly been true for the disciples' journey with Jesus. They made slow but sure progress and the Lord was guiding them one step after the other. And that's something that continues even after you become a Christian. We're continuing in our journey one step closer to Jesus every day. Sanctification is a process, and the image of Christ is formed in us through the Word and through the Spirit by faith. There's so much we could say here, Charles, but I'd like to make two points before I hand it over to you to take us through verses 10 through 12. Here's the first point. The believer's relationship with Jesus is 100% gift. Now, you might be thinking, I already knew that. But guess what? There's two meanings to that statement, and both of them are true. Our minds probably jump first to what Paul wrote about so clearly in Ephesians 2 about how salvation is a gift from God so that no one should boast, and that's absolutely true. But this passage is showing us the other side of that coin, and that's this, that every disciple of Jesus is a gift from the Father to Jesus. The words gave or given show up six times in just four verses. Three of them tell us that the Father has given these disciples to Jesus. The Father has also given Jesus the words that he in turn gave his disciples. And not only that, everything Jesus had been given came from the Father. Jesus said all of this in his prayer. And that leads us to the second point. Jesus is praying for his disciples because they are his. Earlier this morning, I was on my knees praying for my kids. I pray for other people, of course, every day, but the way I pray for my kids and the reason I pray for them, it's different. God gave these kids to Marcy and me. They're a gift from God, and so we pray for them accordingly, precisely because they're ours. Not out of obligation, but from a heartbeat of love that cannot and will not give up on them. You know, Charles, I think that there's something special here about the grounding that Jesus is showing us for why he's praying, what he's praying for his disciples. And here's my takeaway from what you were just sharing with us. Jesus' disciples belong to him. And for that reason, he prays for them, just like you pray for your kids every day. And I pray for my kids Mm. every day and grandkids. And, you know, this reminds me of the many trips we've taken to Israel, to the Holy Land. Uh, We go to Jerusalem. We always go to the Mount of Olives. And there on the Mount of Olives, we pay a few dollars to a gardener that we've become acquainted with. And we go to a little section where other people don't go that is what would have been part of the original Garden of Gethsemane. We walk deep into that garden, and uh, it's still filled with olive trees. You can even find olive trees that date back to the time of Christ that are still alive and producing fruit. takes you back to the first century. And together, we gather in this little quiet place on the Mount of Olives in what was the Garden of Gethsemane, and we read from John 17 the very same text we're looking at this week. And then afterwards, I always encourage everybody to go find a rock, and there are plenty of rocks in the Mount of Olives. Find a rock, sit down, take your own Bible, and just meditate on this passage. Have some one-on-one time with Jesus. 
And those trips to the Holy Land are always fast-paced. They're always busy. Next stop, everybody, get on the bus and all that. But we take those few moments, about an hour, to spend with John 17 and to spend with Jesus and remember we belong to him. But that's not all. In verses 10 to 12 of John 17, we also realize that we're protected by Jesus. And that's what our Lord prays for in this section. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. Keep in mind, this is a prayer in John 17. But they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. And of course, he was speaking of Jesus there. So Jesus asks his father to protect his disciples. He knows what will come for them. Just as Jesus was mistreated, even would be killed, so would the disciples face mistreatment from the religious leaders and then, of course, Rome itself. And when we hear the word protection, we typically think of someone being kept out of harm's way. But if you have little ones in your life, you may protect them by standing in front of them if there's a dangerous animal nearby. Or you may snatch them quickly before they walk into a a busy street and get hit by a car. But Jesus wasn't necessarily asking for the disciples to be spared from persecution. If you read Acts, you'll find out many of them do suffer for the gospel. Church history tells us that some would even die. Does this mean that Christ's prayer failed? Not at all. When Jesus prayed for his disciples to be protected in that garden, He was pleading for their preservation. When the disciples walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is asking his Father to strengthen us, to encourage us, so that we might continue on in faith. Jesus prayed, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That unity is important. The unity between the Father and the Son They were united and are united in goal. Just as the Son desires the preservation of his disciples, so does the Father. And that's good news for us too, disciples today. Christ protected his disciple while he was with his disciples on earth. Judas was even himself a fulfillment of Scripture. But one could naturally think that once Christ left their presence, there would be no one around to preserve the disciples. No way. Though Jesus was going to leave, his heavenly Father would continue the work that Christ began. How do we know this? Because all that Christ has is his. The disciples belong not only to Jesus, but they belong to the Father. There is precious possession. He won't let them go. Not after all his beloved Son has done to save them. It's like Philippians 1.6 tells us, He who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the future day, the day of Christ Jesus. 
I know this prayer was first and foremost for Jesus' disciples, but you and I can find this prayer first and foremost in our lives as well. We're followers of Jesus as well. We'll encounter all the cruelties of this world even because of our faith, but we can still have hope. Jesus may no longer be with us physically, but he is with us spiritually. The Spirit lives in us, preserves us, just as Jesus preserved the disciples then. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit united in this work. They will see us through the pains and the aches and the sorrows of this life. They will together, the Trinity, the Godhead, will preserve us until we enter a new world where sin is no more. He who began a good work in Began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Slowly replacing your hope with despair Or the process is long and you're losing your song in the night You can be sure that the Lord has His hand on you Safe and secure, He will never abandon you you are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. He who began a good work in you He who began a good work
Well, Charles, that song brings back a lot of memories. I know you and I enjoyed our opportunity to meet Steve Green a few years ago, but boy, thinking back to my childhood, that was always on uh, in my house growing up, so familiar. And one of the first songs that was teaching me scripture, that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in you. So good. So good. Uh, Charles, it was Really good to hear more also from Johnny earlier in the program and to be reminded that God's protection for his people goes much deeper than prosperity or health, doesn't it? Indeed, David. The Lord is infinite, so why wouldn't he care for his children and be more than we expect? And that's exactly what Johnny is communicating in her new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. We need this reminder that our walk with Christ can be so much more so much closer and so much deeper than it is right now. I remember Johnny Erickson Tata telling us, Charles, that too often Christians settle for too little, and she encourages us to seek Jesus in all of our lives, in every moment, even in our sorrows and suffering. And that's something that Johnny does so well in her ministry and certainly in her new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. So why don't you come to our website? Why don't you come right now and read a sample from her new book, while you're there, watch the full-length interview we have with Johnny as well. And then you can make your gift to Haven Today and get your copy of Johnny's new book when you visit haventoday.org. haventoday.org. Or call us and get ready for a spiritual banquet when you call 800-65-HAVEN. 800-65-HAVEN. I'm Charles Morris. And I'm David Wolin. Thanks for meeting up with us again today. Won't you come back again tomorrow when on Wednesday, together, we'll still be sharing the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. For your walk with Jesus, I'm David Wolin with Haven Today, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. We place a lot of trust in things we can see, our jobs, our homes, even our bodies. And yet, one day, each of these will fade away. A job can be lost. Home values rise and fall. No one stays healthy forever. But the hope of a believer in Jesus is in none of these things. Psalm 73 reminds us, Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but... God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So don't trust in what you can see. Trust in the one you cannot see, except through eyes of faith. Try out Anchor Devotional today. Visit GetAnchor.com.